Hebrews chapter 2. We're actually going to take just a minute and look at three or, three or four different passages in, in a couple of different chapters out of the book of Hebrews. Let's start with uh, Hebrews 2, verse 9. We'll read a couple here and then we'll jump ahead and then jump ahead again. But The Bible says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him, that, that really means it was, it was fitting, it was right, it was just. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, like I say, we're going to jump ahead, so keep your Bible open, keep your phone app open or whatever. What I want to talk about this morning is the sufferings of Jesus Christ <laughs> and what the Bible teaches us about why He suffered and how, I mean, when we really, what all we're going to do is focus on that today, but when we really do focus on that and the why and, and everything that He experienced, and when we, I mean, always, I always try and qualify, when we focus on it in, in the sense of faith, that's believing. When we read this stuff, I say it all the time. It's so easy to read this as though this is about some person that we don't know and some time that we didn't live in a place that we've never been and it becomes impersonal. Because there's a Bible on every corner and y'all have heard so much stuff about Jesus your whole life. It, 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 you just kind of become numb to it. But let's not do that today. Today, we gathered here today because we believe in Jesus. That's, that's why we're here. Uh, because we know that God is true and He's there and He hears and this is His Word. That's why we come out. One of the greatest acts of worship that we do is just obedience, just gathering together and worshiping the Lord. But I want to, we're going to read some more verses and I'm going to give a little bit of commentary, but I want us to think about this first sentence in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, <coughs> But we see Jesus. It was made a little lower than the angels, and, and it gives an answer. Why? Why was he made man? Why was he made lower than the angels? And the answer is there. For the suffering of death. In other words, for this, this is the reason. This is the cause. Why, why? Why was it this way? For the suffering of death. And that he would taste death, it says, for every man. And then that last line, and if you look at verse 10, that last part in verse 10, I want to focus on too. And it says to make the captain, which is Christ, he's our high priest, he's our captain, he's our Lord, he's our king, he's our ruler, he's our God, he's our everything. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. But now hold up. It was, I mean, Christ was already perfect. We know that. There, there was no imperfections in Christ whatsoever. From the eternal past or in his, his nature and his character and everything about him before he took on flesh. And then even when he took on flesh, he was not imperfect in any way. Christ had no flaw. He is the almighty God. In fact, he's the creator. We've been going through John. We've been talking about that. The Bible teaches it all through. The Christ is creator and he was perfect. And so what does this mean that he was made perfect through suffering? Turn to, or jump down to verse 16. Same chapter. Jump to verse 16. This is a parallel of what we just read. You know, what we just read is he was lower than the angels. Look at verse 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. 
but he took on him the seed of Abraham, wherefore in all things it behooved him, which the same that means the same thing. It was fitting. It was right. It, 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 it was sensible. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. That is to be made flesh, to be made lower than the angel, to be made man, to become man, to be found in the fashion of a man. That, listen, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For, in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. He is able to, King James says, secure, which means relieve or help or come to the aid of them that are tempted. And we're going to continue to look through a little bit forward in, in Hebrews again. But you can see this parallel there. And when it says that he was made perfect through suffering, it's, he really, the way I look at it is he only added to, perfect really means like complete. In, in the Bible, most of the time it doesn't. Like we only kind of use it to mean it's flawless without mistake. Well, Christ was already that, but it added to his fullness. It added to his fullness. And this is well, let's just before we start getting into the commentary, turn to Hebrews four. Hebrews four. Just turn the page and look at Hebrews chapter four, verse fifteen. This is speaking of Christ. Because of what it has said in chapter two, that he suffered, that he was he became man for the suffering. And that through suffering, he was made perfect. Look at what verse 15 says. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. And oftentimes this tempted, if we put the word suffered there, we'd really get the fullness of what it means. It's not talking about necessarily sin. It could be a temptation to sin, possibly, but it really means tempted to withdraw from God in suffering. He, is, he has suffered like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Turn it again. Chapter 5, verse 1. You can see what it said there, that we have a high priest. Because he became a man, because he put on the ability to suffer, you see, Christ in His, we could say what, His eternal immortal form, in His heavenly only form, He didn't really have the ability to suffer like we suffer. He didn't have that ability to suffer in the flesh, but yet He became flesh for the cause of suffering. And that through suffering, He is now an even more amazing high priest. We, he can be touched. In other words, He's affected when you pray because you're hurting, because you're sad. Because you're broken, your heart broke, or you long for a lost loved one. Jesus gets it. And that's my sermon. Nobody understands suffering like Christ understands suffering. Okay, but look at chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin, who can have compassion on the ignorant. And them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. Now that's talking about flesh and blood, human high priests, but a high priest, a preacher, or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, can relate to the sufferings because he's a man too. You know, I tell you guys all the time, I, I'm the chief of sinners. 
You know, I have the same struggles that every other human has. Well, Christ never sinned, but He put on our struggles, and that's what it's saying here. It's not saying that Christ has infirmities, but He, he look at look, jump to um, verse eight and five eight. Though He were a son. Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, see it says it again, perfect through that suffering. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now, we'll get into, you can, you can leave your Bible open if you want to, but that's, I'm going to be done with the verses for now. <coughs> and that's all I want to talk to you about today. I don't have some deep, profound thing to share with you. I really believe it will be shorter than normal. But it's fine, because what we are thinking about it is, is deep and profound. And it's a central teaching of the Scripture all the way back in the Old Testament. It was prophesied. You know, when Jesus was walking with his disciples, he told them many, many times of the things which the Christ must suffer. They didn't get it. <laughs> they just kept saying stuff like what Peter said. No, Lord, not so. And he rebuked Peter, actually, for that. But it was told all through the Scripture that the one, the chosen one, the son of God and son of man, the one that is called of God to save man is going to... I try not to get emotional. I've just been thinking on this for you know, a good long while now. So it's, I've, just kind of, I've been meditating on this suffering, and so it's got me stirred in my heart a little bit. But the one that was going to save us, to bring us unto glory, suffered our walk, our life, our everything. He, he felt the soreness of a hard day of work. He felt the hunger of being on a long journey with no food, but he felt some other things, and that's what I want to look at. I think sometimes, again, because we kind of have this narrative of who Christ is that's kind of put into our minds, honestly, before we ever get old enough to really understand and go to the Scriptures, we limit this suffering Christ down to the cross. But there's so much more than that. So much more than that. And, and so I want to take a look at it. And we're looking at different ways in which, man, Christ understands. There's things that, there's th I have been, I have felt some sorrows. Honestly, I fear not enough sometimes. Because through sorrow, through suffering, through loss comes great maturity and patience and care for people. Um, I have felt some. And so I can relate. I know what sorrow feels like. I know what hurt feels like. But I can't relate to all of yours. Because y'all have different ones. But Christ can. And let me show you what I mean. Let's take into account some of the other things in his earthly suffering that we don't stop and think about. It's, it's hard. I believe it's hard for anyone. But especially if you're close to your father, for your father to die when you're young. That's, that's hard. That did not happen to me. But it did happen to Jesus. We just don't think about it. It came up the other night in our John study. But by the time that Christ began his ministry, Joseph was actually already passed away. And it never actually states it, but we figure it out indirectly. Like For one, the law was that the son, if there was a son old enough, he was supposed to take care of his mother if his father died. And sure enough, Jesus did it. He fulfilled that law all the way right to his death. Remember, at his death, he said, John, the apostle John, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. If Joseph would have still been alive, he couldn't even say that. It would literally have been against the law. But Joseph had already died. So Joseph, here's what we know for sure. That we do know this for sure. We don't know when, but we know for sure a window because of other things. Like, you know, even at the wedding, you know, Christ comes on the scene at the wedding, turns the water into wine, and he's there with Mary. Joseph's nowhere to be found. He's never mentioned. 
And however, I believe Joseph was a good father because the angel appeared to Joseph and confirmed to Joseph that this the son that you and Mary is going to raise, this son of God and son of man that you and Mary is going to raise, he is the son of God, and Joseph believed. And so I'm sure Joseph was a good father. But sometime between 12 years old, because that's the last time he's mentioned is when Jesus was 12 years old. Sometime between 12 and 30, Jesus lost a father. Now, it might be easy, but it's wrong. It might be easy to think, well, yeah, but Jesus knew it wasn't really his father. No, let me tell you something. The person that raised you from birth, that's your father in your eyes. Now, he, of course Christ knew. Well, we also know, and he had it in a different way, that he had a heavenly father. It was different for Christ. He knew that. But, man, when you've raised a child up from a baby, you know what? You call him dad. That's my dad, you know. May not be my biological father, but I love him as though he is. And I have no doubt, knowing the love that dwelled in Christ, that he loved Joseph, his father. I have no doubt. And so, for those that have lost a parent, you can go to Christ. Because he did too. What else? To me, this is very touching. When he was on the cross and being crucified in this, I mean, the cross, we got to understand, is honestly like the worst possible way you can die. I mean, it, it was designed to be the ultimate torture device. You die of suffocation, actually. You drowned on your own fluid inside of your lungs. Um, and the reason they would put the board under the hill is so that you... You had to stand up to breathe, and after you hung for so long, basically it rips, your, rips you up from the inside out. It's absolutely terrible. It's terrible. Um, that's why when they pierced his side, water came out. Water and blood, but water builds up. You have this, it's, it's a long story, but the, the word excruciating, excruciating come from the word excrucius, which means out of the cross. It was the, the cross, the crucifixion. The, the word is tied to the most, it's the most terrible pain you can think of, and my point is in that pain, which is another form of suffering, he sees his mama, who he obviously loved, and she loved him. I can't imagine the relationship those two had. Katrina and I have talked about it before. You wonder if sometimes in secret, Mary was like, hey, I, I forgot to make the muffins. Can you, you know, go back here and work me a little miracle here? Bing! Okay, here you go, mama. I won't tell nobody if you won't tell. You know, I'm sure they had a relationship I'll say it this way at least, as strong as ever any relationship you've ever had with your child or your mother, I'm sure they had it. And when he was up there hanging and looking out there, to me, I, it's maybe something that only a man can relate to. I don't know. But one of my greatest fears of dying is not the pain of dying. It's not the, it's not the actual absolution of death and that I'm passing to eternity. It's that I'm leaving her. And that's sad. And I don't mean forever. I just mean if I'm sitting here dying, choking on my own blood. You know what I'm thinking? Man, I, 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 oh, I don't want to leave you like this. I should have got the water heater fixed. I should have done this. I should have done that. How are you going to make it in this world without me? I mean, I know that you can. By the grace of God, you can. But my point is, I know Christ. When he sees his mother weeping, and he knows he's dying, and her husband is dead, and we're going to find out in a minute, his brothers had turned against him. I think that's all. That's in the midst of excruciating pain, he's thinking, who's, who's going to take care of my mama? John. 
take care of my mom. That, that's, to me, that's sad. That's a, I think about, of all the things in which he was tempted, because it talks about him being tempted, but like I said, don't only think temptation for sin. That's not, it's not about that. Even, I think, there was probably nothing more tempting to get him off of that cross than knowing I'm about to leave mama. And she's not ready for me to. And I could come down from here. Because death has no power over me, nor does the devil, nor does any demons, nor does I don't, nothing has power over me unless I give it to it. Because that's what he told him. You couldn't kill me unless I let you. I think it was tempting at times for him to come off that cross just and say, okay, mama, I won't leave you yet. But in that sense, he had to feel losing his mother when he could have done something different. I mean, I'm not saying that he literally could have, but that, that he had to have experienced that. I believe that he did. His brothers. Bible tells us in John chapter 7 that his brothers mocked him, laughed him to scorn, made fun of him and said, man, you know, if you're who you say you are, go and claim it. Go and tell the whole world. Nobody does these things in secret which desires to be known openly. Go. And so they mocked him. They, they tested him. They challenged him. And we know that they did, it actually says it. It just says, neither did his brothers believe him. So now this is, this is now at this time, 30-year-old Jesus that had younger brothers and sisters. We don't think about that too. No, of course, they weren't his brother and sister in an eternal sense. But let's not always separate it like, well, but it, I think to him it didn't matter. You know, if you're a foster child, if you're adopted in from birth, basically, and then that, so that family, that, that, that husband and wife, they raise you up, and by the time you're two years old, they have another boy, and they name him James. And now by the time you're five, they have another boy, and they name him Jude. And now you're ten, and they have another boy, and they name him Joseph. And it also says, and sisters, plural, which means he had at least two sisters, so he was at least a family of six. I don't think Jesus ever looked at them and was like, you know, you really my brother. I think he loved them like my kids love their siblings. I, I believe that. I, I don't see, really, I don't see how that's any other way. And how would you feel to, to be rejected of your own brothers and sisters? And also knowing Jesus never did them wrong, so it's not like he did them wrong. It's not like he lied to them. It's not like he was a bully to them. He was probably that oldest son type of guy. The one that Mary was like, Jesus, take Jude and change his diaper, please. And so when the one that you helped change his diaper is now 25 years old, and he's like, I don't believe you. You're a liar. And so much so that they was, I was saying stuff, I'm sure, like, I wish you wasn't part of this family. You know, you brought a bad name on our whole family. You know, because of you, my mom has been called everything in the sun. Adulterer, fornicator, because of you, Dad Joseph can't hold down a job because they know that you're his son. They don't want no part with you. You know, can you imagine that? I mean, if we take that and really apply that and say, how hard? Woo. That'd be hard. Hard. To, and, and still pray for him, love him. So suffering, you know application to us, because we name the name of Christ, some of us have lost family. Or some of our family will at least say, mock us, or ridicule us, 
separate from us, don't want to have no part with us because we're believers, because we walk with the Lord. They don't really want to associate with us. Well, Jesus felt that. He felt that more than I think we have felt it. Even I think when Jesus was betrayed by Judas, this was another type of suffering. Now, of course, again, knowing the end from the beginning, yeah, he knew it. But don't, I'm going to guess make this point over and over. Don't think that that reduces the suffering, okay? I know that my wife is going to die. The knowing that makes it no better. Now, maybe she dies after me. I don't know. I don't know the when. And, of course, Christ could come back and we could all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of eye. And, man, how great would that be if that just happened? To where this, those that are alive and rain, we don't even see death. We're just changed, new glorified body. Praise God. Let's hope that happens, okay? But if it doesn't happen, it is appointed unto man once to die. And then comes a judgment. I know if I live long enough, I will, I will lose her. That doesn't soften the blow, in other words. Knowing it doesn't soften it. It still hurts the same. And of course, Christ knew that Judas would betray him, but think about something. Have you ever invested in a person for three, three and a half years knowing they, they may not like me that much, but man, I, really, I like them. I've called them. I'm going to invest in them fully. I don't believe that Jesus treated Judas any different than the other 11 apostles during the time they were together. Of course, like I said, he didn't know, so it didn't catch him by surprise. But the way I think it is, if you've ever had a friend that you've kind of gone out of your way for that friend, and you wanted to really win that, the heart over, their heart over, you really wanted to have a, a close, long-lasting friendship. And kind of the whole time, for like the three and a half years, you're kind of getting the bad end of the deal, but you're not holding it against them, because you actually do love them. You know, Jesus called Judas... Friend. He called him friend. Even when Judas came to betray him with a kiss, Jesus, knowing that's what was about to happen, he was like, what is it, friend? To me, that's a level of suffering. If you ever had a friend just stabbed you behind the back, you, you just really felt like you just gave so much because you loved them. And, and, and maybe the whole time you kind of felt like, you know, they're not as close to me as I am to them, but man, I sure do love them, man. I sure do wish that we could work this out and, you know, have this great friendship. And then, oh, all of a sudden, not only are they not my friend, but I find out that they've been telling lies on me. I find out that they sold out my friendship, sold me out for 30 shekels of silver, betrayed me with a kiss. Not only Judas... Now, Judas is the only one that sold him out. But the other 11 did leave him in his greatest hour of need. Now again, Christ knew it because he told Peter. Because Peter's like, Lord, I'll never deny you. Never. And Jesus said, yeah, before the rooster crows three times or twice or however you read it, that both actually make sense. I can show you that one day. But he says, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no, nah, never. And in Luke, it tells us that when Peter had denied him the third time and the rooster crowed, that Jesus looked at him. And Peter saw Jesus' eyes and wept bitterly. 
Even though Christ knew that was going to happen, I'm sure that still hurts some. You know, y'all are not my disciples, and I'm certainly not Christ. I'm not a high priest. I'm not anything. I'm just one of you, and I'm standing up here today. But if we had agreed to go and do something that was really challenging, and y'all are saying, oh, no, we're, we're with you, or we're with each other. We're a body of Christ. No, we're, going to, we're, we're, we're walking it through to the end, man. And the further and further we get... One of you drops away, and then one of you drops away, and then one of you drops away. Don't you know that would be difficult? That would be difficult to not feel this discouraged and saddened. And it's like, man, you know, nobody's actually going to walk the walk with me. Because Jesus had said, are you willing to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Which is talking about death and suffering. That was, that was what he meant. And they said, oh, yes, Lord, we'll do it. But they ended up bailing out on him. Now, Christ knowing it was going to happen, I don't think, softens the blow. I'm sure that it still hurt. Not only, guys. Think of this cumulative suffering we're talking about here. And think about what it said. That he was made perfect through suffering. Perfect for what? Perfect to be your Savior. There is nothing that you can't go to him for in the category of suffering. Perfect to comfort you. I mean, he's, he's felt it. He's walked the walk. He felt it even more so. But his, whole, his own countrymen. So not just this, that he loses his dad young. Not, that, not just that he have to face leaving his mother without, you know, a sufficient caretaker perhaps and worrying about what's going to happen to her in the future. And not only did his brothers reject him, but his, his countrymen, his kinsmen. It says they despised him. They hated him. Now, it's one thing to hate a murderer, but it's another thing to hate the guy who's the best in the community, the one who's honest, and he has upright integrity, and he has served the people all the days of his life. To hate that man for no reason, to hate him for his good. Christ felt that. They actually were seeking to kill him on a regular basis. When he would do something good and heal someone, he's like, don't tell anybody. And that's why. Because the more and more stuff, more good that y'all tell them I'm doing, the more they hate me and the more they want to kill me and the time for me to die has not come yet. So don't tell. Right, that, that's something that's probably bigger than anything that we can ever relate to because we haven't had that kind of platform. But I can say if you're on a job... And you work with a lot of people. And maybe you're the brightest light for Christ there. And because of that, half the people on that floor hate you. And you know they hate you because of what you represent. Because you're not going to tell a lie. Because you're not going to break the moral rules. Because, you're not, you're, because your feet are not quick to mischief like theirs are. And so you're shining a bright light. And because of that, they hate you. And it may be hard to go to work every day and continue to shine that light. But guess what? Christ understands. Christ understands. When he was being crucified or about to be crucified, and his people were given the choice, free Jesus, who has done no wrong and has helped all of you your whole life, or free Barabbas, who's a convicted murderer and an insurrectionist, is what it says. So free this man who was a murderer, and he led an army of people against your country, <laughs> against your government. Or, free Jesus. I said, give us Barabbas. 
that hurts me just to think about, man. You're saying I'm, I've never done anything wrong to any of you. None of you. I mean, list a thing. And you're saying free this convicted murderer who confessed? I mean, that's got to hurt. You know, it's even when the strangers are against Even the people that don't know me are against me. Even the people who haven't given me time to even hear testimony, they're against me. You know, my point is just that Jesus suffered. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Jesus wept. Jesus wept. You know, that tells us so much about the character of God and the character of Christ. Of course, there's only one true God, and we know that. But other cultures, other belief systems have developed their own thinking of these what we would say false gods or their version of gods, small g gods, you know, like Thor, Odin, people like that. These make-believe stuff. But you know what none of them ever did for their people? Cry. Cry. Jesus Christ cried. And he, why did he cry? Because it said he's seen his friends crying. That's why Lazarus had died, been dead four days. By now, as Jesus says, he stinketh. But he knew he was going to bring him to life. He did not cry over Lazarus. It says in him seeing his friends and family weeping, he wept. It moved him to tears. The Bible actually says weep with them that weep. Well, listen, guys. That was God crying. Jesus Christ is God. Can I get an amen on that at least? Amen. Jesus Christ is God. That's God crying. Crying. Why? Why is God crying? Because you're crying. I mean, that, 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 is that not what it says? Is that not what it teaches? That God's crying because you're crying. I mean, really. And you know what else is even interesting? Knowing that this is the same God that made us. Did you know? I've said this many times. And so, you know, it's just one of my favorite things to bring up. So if you've heard it, sorry. Human beings are the only living thing that we know of in the whole known universe that cries tears. Some animals have will get watery eyes but they don't actually have tear ducts and it's not related to emotion it's to clean their eye or something but they're not actually crying it's just a part of their physiology whereas humans cry we cry we weep our god made us to weep and i'll tell you what else when you see a whole bunch of other people sobbing and sorrow and weeping there's something contagious about it it makes you Seeing tears roll down somebody's face is powerful. Well, all that stuff, we've got to realize that stuff. Well, just like laughter. You hear a bunch of people laughing, giggling. I mean, you get somebody on a roll laughing, you don't even know what they're laughing about. Before you know it, you're like, I can't stop laughing. What are you laughing at? I don't know. I'm laughing at whatever they're laughing at. What are they laughing at? I don't know. We're all just laughing. You know, it gets crazy. Laughing is contagious. Tears are contagious. But God designed that into us. Jesus wept. And here's, here's the thing, too. He lost his friends. He lost his friend. His friends died. That small circle of people that was actually close to him, some of them died. He was able to raise Lazarus as a witness to who he was, but he didn't raise all of them. So he suffered the loss of those few that he did have of friends in the midst of his own hunger. It says he, moved, he was moved with compassion when he saw the multitude. And every time I read that, it says, and he fed them, and he fed them, thousands sometimes, great miracles. And I have not read once where it says, and he fed himself. He, he, 
he fully endured hunger. I mean, really, if you think about well, hunger is one of those things that we can certainly feel that I don't know that God, before he had this physical human form, felt hunger. But now we know for sure that Jesus Christ felt hunger and even denying his own hunger to take the time to feed other people. But we know it says he was hungered and he thirsted. And so we know that he felt this kind of stuff, but he had more love for the multitude than he had for himself. He lived on little to nothing. So poverty is a form of suffering. Poverty is a form of suffering. And sometimes poverty is one of the worst forms of suffering because they just don't want to go away. There was not a man more poor than Christ. I mean, even he said foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This was poverty from birth. When they saw, you know, a lay in a manger... They put him in a manger. A manger, just so you know, was a feed trough for cows. That's what it was. That's where he spent his first nights of life. He lived in poverty really his entire life. I even wondered, and this is completely speculative. We know that it says he was a carpenter, which most likely means Joseph was a carpenter because that's how it used to work. If your dad was a carpenter, he was a carpenter. If your dad was a welder, they didn't have welders back then, but you get the point. He was a welder. I wonder if nobody would just nobody would hire him for risk of losing business because of the same thing that I imagine Joseph dealt with. Because I can I, I think that if that had not been the case, there probably would have been a little bit of a record of Christ working to make ends meet and stuff like that, you know. Which of course he would have been giving it all away. But I don't know, that's speculation, but I wonder if he even dealt with that. Nobody's gonna hire me because of who I am. I'm about to close. But let me give you some. See, we can all relate to some extent to what we've said. And, and it's, a, it's amazing. It's all out of love did Christ do this. He did not have to leave the throne to save anybody. He, he wanted to. And not only did he want to, but he, he, to me this is saying that it's like Christ has said, now I want to know y'all fully. I want to know y'all fully. I want to feel that hunger. I want to understand that. So when you come to me with hunger, I want to, I want to be able to say I've been there. And I know how to help. I want to feel that thirst. I want to feel the loss that y'all have felt. I want to weep with my people. So it's a love story, really. And we can relate to this. But some of the stuff that I'm about to say, I think is suffering that goes beyond what you can relate to. First of all, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he went to pray... And said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. It's hard to really get this in your mind. But imagine if you knew in two days, they're going to tie me down, pull my fingernails out, beat my face. I don't know if they really pulled his fingernails out. I'm just trying to give an illustration of things we can relate to that don't sound absolutely terrible. We've never seen a person crucified, so we really don't have a good context for it. But you can imagine what it would be like to be tied down and beaten. I mean, and it was prophesied in, in Isaiah chapter 52 that the suffering servant, it says his visage, which means his image, his face, would be marred, marred, more than any man. Unrecognizable. Imagine that you know in two days, in two days, they're going to beat me with rods, they're going to scourge my back, they're going to punch me, mock me, spit on me, hang me, on a cross, pierce my side, part my garments, and listen, guys, imagine this. 
They're going to strip me naked and stand around and poke fun at me and hang me on a cross for the whole world to see. Imagine, that's going to happen to you in two days. I mean, really put yourself there. In two days, I'm going to hang before everybody I know, naked, beaten, and bloody. And now go pray and say, but if that's your will, so be it. I don't like getting emotional up here. But that touches me. It touches me. Because that's also what it means to learn obedience through suffering. God can heal. Heaven forbid my wife gets cancer. Or something. But can I say, Lord, don't let it happen. But I'm still, I'm still with you even if it does. Your will, not my will. Not my will, but yours. That's obedience through, in other words, in the midst. In the very midst of the greatest suffering that a person can imagine. When honestly, tens of thousands would turn their back on God. Where's God now? Where's God now? I'm suffering. And they turned their back. He did not. Through the suffering, in the very midst of the greatest suffering, He stayed obedient to the death. To the death. That's something I don't think we understand. It says he prayed until his sweat became as great drops of blood. It says he was in agony. That he fell upon his face to the ground. And of course we know the story. The disciples, he had left the disciples at the gate. He had taken three apart. James, John, and Peter. He said, y'all stay here and watch. i got to go pray. So he goes and he prays. And he comes back and they're sleeping. And he's like, man. Come on, man, you guys don't get it, please. Wake up and pray. Wake up and pray. And he goes again, he prays, and he comes back, they're sleeping. And he goes again, he prays, and he comes back the third time, knowing it's just it's going to be how it is. And he says to them, this time, guess what he says? He says, sleep on now, take your rest. The time has come. Then he wake him up. Again, I'm thinking he's like he's he's concerned about them now. I'm about to go die. Judas is Judas is coming. They got pitchforks and a light. I'm not gonna wake y'all. Sleep as much as you can. You're gonna need strength. Concerned about them. Jesus is amazing. He is amazing. He also suffered something that I can't I, I can't even paint this picture for you. I just want to tell you so that you know it's true. When Jesus was on the cross, and it said the sun was darkened. For about a three-hour period, it says the sun shined not for three hours a day while he's hanging there. And right about that time is when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, I don't know, and I don't want to get into anything that is wrong, but it seems possible to me that at least during that time, which was, by the way, that sign that darkness would cover the whole earth, that was prophesied in the Old Testament 13 times as the sign that the wrath of God was coming upon earth. That the sun would be darkened. 
It's going to happen again. It's also prophesied to happen the second time. And guess what? This time it ain't coming on Christ. It's coming all that didn't coming upon all that did not come to Christ. The wrath of God will come again upon everyone. Well, let's say it this way: If Jesus Christ did not suffer the wrath of God for you, then you're going to suffer it for yourself. And that's a level of suffering that no human can put on you. That's a level of suffering that I don't know how to convey to you. And I think it's just because he gave you a way out of it. So God's fully justified in the future wrath because he gave you not only a way out, but a free way out. Free. Salvation is a free gift of God. It says that. Just believe. Just you believe in what I've told you today, that all this suffering was because Christ loves you. And that he was being perfected in the sense of making a more perfect savior for you. And that ultimately he died anyway. But yet, what he had no sin, right? He had no sin. Well, why did he die? For your sin. If you can believe that, so you can escape the wrath of God. But I believe that Jesus suffered the wrath of God. I mean, I think the Bible teaches that for that three-hour period. I don't know what happened in the spiritual realm. But I know that Jesus took the full punishment that was owed me. And I tell you what's owed me. The wrath of God. Because I did not do this without sin. And I have not been the perfect guy in the community. What's owed me is judgment. But he took the fullness of it. And that, when he said that, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Imagine for a minute, this Jesus Christ and the Father have had an incredible relationship for eternity. Eternity. Unbroken eternity. It tells us in John 17 that they were, you know, they're as close as two persons can be. I mean, literally, it's two persons in one God. It's as close as you can be. Now, I think for a moment, he felt this that God has turned his face, not against him necessarily, but when it says Jesus was made to be sin for us, which knew no sin, I think that's this moment where that happened, where he said that, and he felt, well, if it's truly, truly, truly possible to feel completely alone in all the universe, in the spiritual universe, in the physical universe, and everything that we don't understand, Christ was just feeling alone. At least in the sense of his manhood. Now, however, we know that God didn't forsake him. And he cried out. And we, I even think, you know, sometimes you, you, you may be in that fire of affliction. You know, where things are not going your way. And you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And things are just falling apart anyway. And you say, God, why have you forsaken me? You know? So even to that extent, Christ understands our suffering. Now, like, like I said, let me make it clear. That Christ never ceased to be God, and God didn't forsake him. We know that. He was, raised, you know, he was raised from the dead, and he sits right now on his throne in his majesty and his glory. And we know that he was accepted, and the offering was perfect and all that. So don't get too caught up in it. I just, I, I just think that for that moment, for a brief moment, he felt the fullness of what it will be, a sinner's judgment. No God. God has turned his face from me. And that's a level of suffering that none of us have ever felt. And thankfully, if you're a believer and you've got the Spirit of God in you, you never will feel it. You never will feel it. Let me bring it to a close. I just wanted us today to, to one, think about it so that we can say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. You know, even more than just... Because, you know, if you, if you really get deep theologically, all Christ really had to do was just die for the people. John the Baptist died for the people, in a sense, off of his head. Bring it to me on a platter. And they did. That really ain't that bad of a way to go. 
if you ask me. Put me in the guillotine, fine. But Christ, the sufferings, I'm saying, was for our sake. All he really had to do was come and die, so to speak, and shed blood. But the sufferings and everything that he experienced, that was for our sake. That's what I read those verses to you for. It says this is why he did this. To, to feel what you feel, to hurt like you hurt, to cry like you cry. So that he is a merciful and full of grace. High priest, a great high priest. In fact, we didn't go on, but it ends up saying in Hebrews 7, He ever liveth to make intercession for us. What amazing love, guys. What amazing love observed through suffering. And so I don't know, I, I prayed about it. I'm like, Lord, I don't know of anybody right now in our church that's really suffering, but man, y'all may be. And I can tell you that no matter what kind of suffering you're going through, go to Christ and go to Christ knowing you can go to Christ and say Lord nobody gets me but you do I can't go to a buddy they just don't get it but Lord you suffered like this you get this and I believe God well it says he's the God of all comfort I believe he'll be there for you